Hey everyone, welcome to episode 160 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hey Chris, what's going on? Not much, been home today, had about half an hour of actual work to do, and then I just got to like do, you know, stuff that I actually care about. So, laundry. Yeah, I did laundry, made my bed. Like, was very productive in a homey sort of way. I actually did laundry today, too, because wow. I, I also had our day slurk load today. Mm-hmm. I didn't I had way more than half hour, but I also did my laundry today. I rarely have just half an hour, but right now things are slow. Yeah, so. into the summer. Yeah, I, I mean, like, summer is our catch-up time anyways, and due to the pandemic, we just get far fewer we got far fewer filings and now are getting fewer filings still so just like not nearly as much stuff coming in which since my job is mostly dealing with the stuff that comes in i get to do half an hour of work some days and then just stare at the magic spoilers that all came out today (laughs) there's a lot of magic spoilers today you uh lee messaged me today and said hey do you want to maybe record tomorrow so that we have more magic spoilers to talk about and then the like stream happened and just like cards got dumped and now we have to just like 60 more cards than when that when you said that and message. like eight more products that were announced oh i know it's a it is a full slate of things to pay dollars for in magic the gathering i can't wait can so, to talk about them yeah <laughs> maybe not pay dollars for all of them because i would go bankrupt pretty quick i pay dollars for two things in magic the gathering and that is tournament entry fees and the singles that I need to play in those tournaments. So when we don't have those tournaments, my Magic the Gathering expenditures go way down. Yeah, my mine have two because I had an additional one, which was cube cards. Mm-hmm. But I haven't been able to cube for a while. Yeah. So, you know, those I don't really do that anymore either. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, a lot of this... In many ways, like, looking at spoilers and stuff feels fake, because what am I going to do with this? Like, play some arena ladder, and then, like, do what happened this past month, and rank up, and then not be able to play because I'm prepping for the Mana Traders tournament, and then check my ranking the day of, and sitting at, like, 11.50, and be like, well, but I have to go to work, and then I go to work, and I don't, don't make it. I don't know. I still, I really, really like the cards and stuff yeah even if you know i don't get to play with them in paper because that's you know how i buy them I'll, I'll still get to see them online talk about them cover tournaments with them like i'm still very much involved even if i don't get to like hold all the cards and yeah hug them and all the stuff i used to do no i'm definitely excited like i'm always excited for new i'm always excited for new standard cards like we had like three spoiler seasons in the past three weeks that i just didn't pay attention to but New new standard cards I'm pretty excited about. Wow, you just reminded me. Did we ever finish the spoiler season for Commander Legends? Did that come out? Like, what oh, happened I have no that? idea. I didn't pay attention to that even a little bit. <laughs> I, I didn't either. I, I saw some, like, Kamigawa-style green cards that mm-hmm. were from an auxiliary set next to that product. <laughs> and I cannot remember if that, like, Commander Legends actually finished previewing or if they're just going to save it until Zendikar is halfway done. And they'll be like, here's a bunch of cards. Pay attention to the expansion symbol, like they did last time in Ikoria. I can't even, during the pandemic, I can't even pretend to myself, like, I might put together a commander deck and play it with some people sometimes. Like, that's just ne- absolutely never going to happen. So, and I knew that, like, actual spoiler season is coming, so it just wasn't, like, a thing that I was going to invest any attention into, really. 
Before we get started, want to thank our patrons, our newest patron, Leo A. Really appreciate your support. We really, really appreciate the support of all of our patrons hanging out in the Discord and chatting, uh, coming to our hangouts on Friday evenings is when they usually have been. Yeah, gonna... we all, if they if we change it up, we'll announce it. Yeah, so. but we'll 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 have another one of those patron hangouts this week. We played some Fall Guys last time. Yeah, I am looking forward to playing some more Fall Guys. I'm looking forward to maybe getting past the first level. Yeah, you didn't have the best luck. Well, it's because the first level is always the stupid door one, where you have to run through, and if you're in the front row, you just you have to guess. Yeah, it's and fun. Can, it's and every great. time I bonked off and just died. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I've failed to make it through that one yet. I think I've made that one every time. There was one run I had, the one time I did clear that level, where I was almost in first, and then like I tripped over 40 people on the, the down where you, everyone falls down a cliff. Yes. And, uh, and stumbled you just keep into getting people landing on but, you. Yeah. <laughs> no, we will play more Fall Guys. It'll be great. Uh, we are going to... I think we're going to try to record our first bonus episode next this week or next week and, and start making that a regular thing. Uh, those will be topic-heavy episodes, MTG Grind classes. And yeah, those will be patron-only stuff. We'll post previews of them for those that are not patrons, so you can get a taste, and if it's something that you're interested in, then, you know, come and pledge. Go to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast to become a patron and get entry into our Discord and get some swag, some physical swag, and access to some additional content. I guess we should spend a couple of minutes talking about the Legacy Tournament we covered this weekend. Yeah, to... that was a big deal before all these spoilers came out. Yeah, it was like the, <laughs> the biggest thing on my mind. It certainly was what I was working on all last week and stuff. So. And the week before. And... Yeah, it's kind of a constant, like one little like stressor in the back of my head that's like always there. But, um, but it's worth it. Like, it's really, really fun to do these tournaments and... Holy crap, we need to make sure that Mana Traders does more legacy tournaments. There was so there were actually weren't that many entrants compared to Modern Legacy. There were like a little fewer. Mm-hmm. But there were so many more viewers. Yeah. We like tripled our viewership. Yeah. It everyone I, I am guilty of this. I said it multiple times on the actual cast, but I love watching Legacy. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I don't get to play it that often and I'm not that great at it. Probably because I don't get to play it that often. I I assume <laughs> those things are a little bit interconnected. Yeah. But every time there's a legacy event on, especially if it's got like good commentary, I always tune in because mm-hmm. it's so the format's just so interesting and so diverse. Yeah, and in the interest of providing good commentary for a format that you know we pay attention to and we understand the interactions, but we don't necessarily know everything the players are should be thinking about on every turn. So in the interest of that, we grabbed Jarvis Yu and Anurag Das and you know had them sit in and remote commentate as many of these matches as we could get them on and i think that really you know let us play off of them and ask the good questions and and try to delve as deep into understanding these games as we could so yeah it was happy with that it was a real blast to work with i got to commentate with Jar- just jarvis uh you hogged on a rug well he was only <laughs> available for a little bit so <laughs> But I, I had actually reached, I messaged him the day after the tournament, mm-hmm. be like, hey, thanks, Jarvis. I appreciate you, you know, helping me out and helping us cover this tournament. And he said, anytime, I'd love doing this again. Yeah. So that, that would be cool to to get Jarvis involved again. Yeah. Jarvis loves doing commentary. And, you know, as we know, as people who have been interested in doing commentary for a while and then finally managed to figure out a way to do it, it is tough to get your foot in the door. For this sort of thing. Yeah. So definitely want to 
give chances to the people who can do it well and 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 that we work with well and so we will also be keeping our eyes out for other people to bring in and hopefully you know continue the 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 guys in the house you know physically working on this project we do happen to be mostly a bunch of white guys so definitely would like to try to diversify our cast as much as we can so uh, that's that's one thing we're looking out for as well as far as the legacy format goes uh we definitely saw the slower blue decks in particular, but just kind of blue decks in general, perform pretty well. And the Delver decks, Dreadhorde Arcanist just seemed like one of the best cards in Legacy by a lot. Yeah, it's... Everyone was cutting Tarmogoyf from their deck to yeah. just put in more Dreadhorde Arcanist. Yeah. I And every time somebody untapped with it, this is nothing new, untapped with Dreadhorde Arcanist in Legacy, and it's, it's pretty unreal... But I think in particular, like, it seemed like a good choice because so many of the other blue decks, you know, the most heavily played blue deck was Teamer Delver, but the second most heavily played deck in the format was some Uro version of a slower blue deck. The Snoka decks. Yes. And Tarmogoyf is not really a card against those oh, decks. Oh, it's, it's horrible against those decks. Yeah. They they can let you have Tarmogoyf for, like, six or seven turns. Right. If it doesn't kill you, it doesn't matter. You just take, like, four hits off of it, gain some life off of an Uro. A food token. Turn it into a 3-3 at some point, and it's just not, nothing. Yeah, when you turn... I, we, I saw this in the tournament where people would play their Oko. Sigh, I'm assuming, because I couldn't see them. <laughs> and then <laughs> Elk, their opponent's Dreadhorde Arcanist. Yeah. And then the Oko would die the next turn to, like, a Bolt and an Elk attack. Mm-hmm. But you, one of those cards, you have to Elk, the Dreadhorde Arcanist. Yeah. The other one, you just, like, get to Elk, which is the Tarmogoyf. Right. Like, the Tarmogoyf is never going to have six power in that matchup. So you can, even if there is a Tarmogoyf in play, you can Oko, make a food, take a hit from the Goyf, and then have your mana and Oko going and stuff. Man, Oko has so much loyalty. <laughs> it does have a lot of loyalty. <laughs> You know, we saw some other interesting decks. We saw that blue-green Thassa's Oracle all-in deck. Yeah, I man, th- that deck made it all the way to the top eight, which was really cool. But then the one match we got to see it, which was granted the semifinals. Yes. So I, I assume they crushed the quarterfinals. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> but they're, they must have gotten extremely unlucky in the semifinals because they just couldn't string together anything yeah. at all. It was yeah. rather disappointing. It was. I mean, and that, I think that's definitely how a certain percentage of games with that deck are going to play out. Like, you're all in on one thing. You have counterspells in Veil to cover for doing that one thing, and sometimes it's not going to work. It's a pr- relatively awkward combo, given the power level of Legacy, and sometimes it's good, but you don't really have a juke plan. You don't have a backup for when it's not working out. It was neat to read the all, like, 65 words on Thoughtlash. Thoughtlash, <laughs> right. But they all have to do with exiling cards in your library, yeah. so... Consistent. Consistent with the Oracle plan. <laughs> but generally, the Force of Will decks seemed like a good place to be. Uh, yeah. Stoneblade actually made it its way into the tournament. Yeah, into the made it to the finals. Yeah, the only person to register that deck in yeah. the entire tournament. Which is really impressive performance, but it got embarrassed in the finals. Yeah, it got taken down so quickly. And I mean, Rich Callie is a great player. Like, huge congrats to Rich Callie for taking down the tournament. Yeah. But yeah, Team Redelver versus Stoneblade just like traded one mana for three mana like four or five times in in one of those games and there was no coming back from that 
we, me and Jarvis watched Rich in the semifinals against, I believe, Michael Bonday. Yeah. Playing Snoko. And Rich must have used a total of five minutes for both games on his clock. Just went through it like nothing. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, he would ponder. I wouldn't even be able to digest all three cards on top (laughs) before they either got drawn or shuffled away. And then he would keep beating Michael. Yeah. It was really impressive to watch. Rich is definitely just like one of the better Delver players, period. Uh, Has played a ton of Legacy and and he knew what he was doing, for sure. Yeah, We, we would start talking about like what a play from Michael signifies to Rich, and Rich had already done the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Legacy, very cool. And to anybody who's listening to this podcast who was also watching that tournament, we really appreciate your viewership, and we super appreciate participation in the chat and everything. Uh, we are completely open to any feedback, definitely trying to improve, particularly... Uh, I'm working on stuff on the technical side of things, and hopefully at some point we will get the hand overlays working. We have some tech from Mana Traders that we can use to see the players' hands while we are spectating matches, so players don't have to stream their matches to us. Unfortunately, uh, we had some unforeseen bugs that made it impossible to use for the top eight of the tournament where we were trying it out, but we are developing that going forward and hopefully we'll be able to use it so we've got some like kind of exciting production stuff coming up and if you didn't get a chance to watch any of the tournament and you just want to watch a match of legacy i would highly highly recommend finding in the vods round four where we watched honorog <laughs> uh, that is the game honorog played against sneak and show i don't want to give any spoilers away but it, it has some incredible incredible different plays in those games yes I think it was me and you commenting. Right? It was me and you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, but, it's worth watching for sure. Yeah, it was. It was very, very good. Yes, for you know, there's a meme reason that it's good, but it also is a really good match. the The majority of it is really good technically and really interesting lines and just overarching strategies taken by the players. So, and it has a lot of those little unique things that makes Legacy what it is, which is paying attention to like. Very narrow rules interactions that you just wouldn't think of most yeah. places. Yeah. There was also, I, I really enjoyed the match that Sean played, Baron of Bacon, mm-hmm. that he played against Golgari Depths that involved like a big old tank turn where he realized that like the only way for him to get out of this is not any of the normal ways. He's got submerge in his hand, but his opponent has no forests in play. He doesn't have enough mana to hard cast it. But... Oko puts him above 20, and then that's sort of like the key to the whole thing. And right. so actually, even though everything looks really awkward, he's got a line that is like almost like probably like 90% or something like that. Just stall, submerge, and go from there and uh, executed it nicely. And it's just one of those, like you said, just these examples of these like fringe things that you have to know how to pull off with your cards. And, and I, I really enjoyed watching that. Yeah, and Sean got 19th in the tournament, so missing Just top 16 on breakers. <laughs> continuing the streak yeah. of Poor near Sean. misses. Brutal. He's so good, though. He's no top yeah. eight. <laughs> no, I know, you can't have all these near misses unless you're putting yourself in the position to miss. I'm looking forward to covering him in the top eight sometime soon. Maybe next month. One, one day. <laughs> Boatload of announcements today. Announcement day. Yeah, announcement day. And they're all stuff 
There, it's it's nothing like we're taking a bunch of money away from these tournaments. It's all <laughs> here's stuff for you to buy. I think which, we did have one of those OP announcements last week. Yeah, I just ignored it because I can't parse any of them anymore. Well, it only mattered to people in the MPL, so yeah, there's only sixty of those. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just totally irrelevant to be given that the only way to get there is to spike a pro spike one pro tour and then you're in. Yep, but, but instead. We get Jace Kicks. Like, I almost choked on my drink when I saw this for the first time the other day. Like, you know, they're just generally, like, ugly shoes with a design on them. Yeah. Like, K-Swiss is not the fashion shoe. Like, let's be real. No. And, you know, it's, it's even got not only, like, the Jace patterning on it. That but, tattoo thing? Yeah. I guess it's on his cloak. Whatever. But it's also just got a big K-Swiss logo on the heel of the shoe, Does too. It really? Yeah, I didn't notice that. Hideous. See, I I looked at those shoes and, like, giggled a little bit. Yeah. And I'm like, eh, these are, like, neat, I guess, if you're into that. I was not into that. No, nothing about the shoes actually matters, though, except for the looking into the shoe where the, the like, upper of the shoe is Jace's hood and Jace is looking at you oh, like out the of the shoe. Yeah, like, that's all that... That's the only part of the shoe that matters. And if you get them, you have to display them so it's, like, up and, like, looking at whoever's looking at them. Like, don't wear these shoes. Not even to my, like, first Paper Magic tournament back. Okay, I mean... If that's that's got to be the one it's spot, It's the one right? time. If you have to wear it to the tournament, it has to be the first one back from Pandemic. Or if you are cosplaying Jace and you put the oh, shoes yeah, on... Oh, yeah, requisite. Right, because it's like those like superhero costumes from when we were kids that had like a cart like the superhero on the costume like yes. batman on the batman costume <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so number one we got the shoes yeah a clear by the way this is order in order of importance so yes. that was number one <laughs> the most important <laughs> then we got finally all the sets coming in the next year. Oh, I've been looking forward to this day I for you were. a while. <laughs> because I it was in the middle of September last year mm-hmm. when they did all the Throne of Eldraine to Core 21 mm-hmm. last time. And that was neat because I didn't know what a Core was going to be. And it was like the only interesting one to me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and this time I was really looking forward to like seeing where we were going next year. Yeah. Because I, I know we, are not, we don't have to deal with a full year of Ravnica again. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's actually just kind of all new stuff. I mean, you know, we have Zendikar coming and and we, appear, we are going back to Innistrad again. But it is like we didn't know what was going to happen at all. A couple of new planes. We're going to Kaldheim, the Viking plane. Yeah, that's from a very little known plane chase card. In like 2006 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. 2009. It it was kind of like a weird future site, but there's no way you could like infer anything about the plane card to what the set's gonna be like. Sure. Well, yeah, and I, I think that just like leaves them open to do whatever they want. Got mechanically. a bunch of snow on it though. Yeah, so we're probably gonna get some snow mana stuff from there. I assume. I don't know. Maybe it seems weird that they would do the snow mechanic thing in modern horizons mm-hmm. and then cite it as like, we can't really do this in standard and then just make a standard set about it. Yeah. I guess the setting being cold doesn't necessitate the snow mechanic, but it's so yeah. like attached to it now that it feels like it would happen. But I wouldn't mind like the snow super tight being used, but not snow, snow mana. mana. Sure. Cause I think snow mana adds this weird, 
payoff between basics and like spells, which is always really hard to do if you don't have just astrolabe to build you out of everything. Yeah. And then occasionally you get cards like Astrolabe. (laughs) Right. And then the gap between how good snow cards are or snow mana costed cards are in a non-Astrolabe format versus the format where Astrolabe is legal. Like, I mean, now Astrolabe is only legal in one format, but they have to keep that in mind when they're designing the cards. And that's that's kind of weird but if they just want to design a bunch of snow creatures or snow mm-hmm. enchantments or snow lands or whatever and not care about snow mana specifically like right. oh, damn, it's just, just another type you can utilize just interact with the super type yeah. like like dead of winter type stuff yeah exactly yeah uh, next we have strixhaven school of mages okay i only know one thing about that plane mm-hmm. which is that it's probably where kazmina is from okay because rosewater said that we're going to see her in an upcoming standard set. That was when War came out. Mm, and probably not from the Viking set. So Yeah, and, and I believe she makes wizards yeah. <laughs> and draws cards. So, I mean, isn't she right. a mentor? Is that seems, in her title? Yeah, I think so. It seems unlikely that she is not from Strixhaven. Yeah, I would be shocked if we don't get another Kazmina card in this set. So, those are the two, like, that we need to see what they are. We don't know anything about them yeah. on their own. We are getting a Dungeons and Dragons set. Not a Dungeons and Dragons inspired set. Like literally cross promotion. This is Dungeons and Dragons Forgotten Realms. I I don't really know like what this means for like story canon stuff. Like are there actual planeswalkers in Dungeons and Dragons? Like is the magic story canon in the Dungeons and Dragons universe? Is Dungeons and Dragons canon in the magic universe? Who knows? Who I don't really. I guess I don't really care. Yeah, they're probably just gonna do like nothing with it. It's yeah. just gonna be like a pocket plane or whatever they want to do. Yeah, maybe a like self-contained story. We don't have to have the planeswalkers come and like mess things up in this plane. Yeah, we get like some off-brand Jaces and whatever instead of the real planeswalkers. Well, all the planeswalkers are off-brand various other properties anyways so. oh yeah sure <laughs> so maybe we can just get like the D character because like you know there's there's dozens and dozens of dungeons and dragons novels yes so there's a ton of story that they could pull from to just be like disconnected from magic story no planeswalkers no nicole bolas none of that no eldrazi like we're just doing dungeons and dragons and they could just do that and it would be fine so they could or they could do what all the people writing the magic story has done and ignore all the history of magic <laughs> which seems more likely because that's easier i know i know i also don't know honestly i just don't know very much about dungeons and dragons at all mm-hmm. i've never played it i've never read any of the books i haven't even seen any like guides or anything yeah haven't read any of those so I- I don't I don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer to me actually that they're doing it in Forgotten Realms because I always thought that the Dragonlance slice of Dungeons and Dragons was super interesting and there's even there's way more there's just a ton of books in that one. Like that one was all story and and like kind of I mean Riding dragons and fighting each other from dragon back is not, like, outside of normal fantasy tropes. But at least it was, like, a specific concept that you can, like, theme out of and build on. So, kind of too bad that we're not doing Dragonlance Dungeons and Dragons. What is Forgotten Realms about, then? It's just, like, western... That is not what I would have thought. (laughs) I would have thought, like, Cthulhu stuff. It's saying Forgotten Realms. No, Forgotten Realms is just the main D&D thing. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I have no idea what that'll be like. Not at all. 
Yeah. Maybe I mean, there'll be some equipment in it. That'd be great. <laughs> we haven't gotten... The only equipment we've gotten in a long time is Ember Cleave, and that's really a teamer battle rage slash... It's more of a Hellrider than an equipment. That's fine. Whatever my opponent equips it like it activates the equip ability right after i've survived the first hit i feel so proud of them right before i die yes <laughs> we have not gotten an actual equipment in so long i i just don't like when was the last constructed playable just like play my equipment put it on a creature i don't know i, I have hope we're getting towards like the malefic scythes and stuff where they're trying to make actual colored artifacts so maybe they'll make a good one eventually yeah sure and then we are getting two Innistrad sets. We are getting a Werewolves Innistrad set and then a Vampire's Innistrad set. And they're coming, like, back to... There's, like, a, a Fall and Winter one. I'm not sure, like, how we're fitting all of these sets I in, thought the, I thought the Innistrad sets were actually just kind of like Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue. No, they... Like, one does come out... The Werewolves one comes out before the Vampire's one. But I don't think it's, like, a huge gap. So... That is unusual. I'll ha- I'll have to go back. The werewolves one comes out in the fall, and the vampires one comes out like early winter. So like fall of twenty twenty one or yeah. beginning of twenty twenty two. Like fall of twenty twenty one, and then winter of twenty twenty one. That's weird. I wonder what they'll do for the set after that. Like when is that coming out? Is it still coming out in February? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's it's bizarre. We, yeah, and we don't know really anything about this set other than it's on Innistrad. Well, we know that it's werewolves and vampires. I could have told you if you'd said it was Innistrad to three, I would have told you it was werewolves and vampires in it. Yeah, just a solid like <laughs> ten years behind the like pop cultural relevance of werewolves versus vampires, but it's alright. We don't we don't expect up to the moment stuff. That's not that's not what we're looking for here. No, we're just looking for more werewolves and more vampires. <laughs> Original Innistrad with its, like, gothic fantasy and general horror trope theming, just, like, knocked it out of the park so much, and I'm so afraid that this is just going to be real derivative of properties that are not particularly, like, emotionally compelling. Yeah, I really liked the original Innistrad when it had, like, a bunch of gargoyles, Mm -hmm. and it had the girl that gets possessed and turns into a ghost. Yeah. And, like, all those, like, uh, even Civilized Scholar, which is Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde, mm-hmm. like, a bunch of those cards, and not just all monsters. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it, it, it felt like a fully, like, populated world, and most of the cards were direct references to, even if not all of them were things that you recognized or cared about, there was something in there that you'd look at it and you'd be like, that, yeah, like... I love this story, or I love this concept, or whatever. Yeah, Dark Ascension had, like, the soldier who was standing guard, and the flips... When he died, he flipped, and was just a zombie that was now being stood guard over by another soldier. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, oh, I I see what happened here. Right. (laughs) I wonder what's gonna happen to the next soldier. God, it also just... The one one art... Is it Village Village Cannibals? Yeah. Yeah. Just, like... One of my top ten arts, and just, like, absolutely the scariest art in all of Magic the Gathering. There's Endless Ranks of the Dead, too. The zombies pushing up against the stained glass window. Oh, yeah. I love that one. That one's really, really That cool. one is excellent. Yeah. Innistrad just, like... Oh, it's nice. It's really nice. Oh, my goodness. Can't wait to only care about werewolves and then only vampires. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that that is exactly what I'm afraid of. Because, like, obviously, I don't care about Twilight, whoa so if this is like all just like jokes and references to like twilight and stuff then 
Like, I don't love that. I mean, if there's, like, a fair bit of, like, Dracula stuff in there, then that's kind of cool. I, I do find Dracula to be pretty evocative, and I, I think that it is a very cool novel and story, and I love a lot of the properties that have been built off of that, like Castlevania. And, like, there's a lot there. Yeah. I think vampires are significantly more interesting in, than werewolves in general and on Innistrad itself. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, like, idea of vampire culture is, is like, pretty cool and stuff. There, there is some really cool conceptual, like, storytelling stuff you can do with werewolves. I, I don't know that it works as, like, a whole half of your thing, but the idea of somebody who has a monster inside them and has to deal with what happens when that monster gets... Like, that, there is a core storytelling device there that you can really use. But I don't know that you need a whole set around that concept. I also just don't think that's what they do with the werewolves because the only werewolf character we care about is what Arlencord and her whole thing is she just controls it whenever and it doesn't matter. Right. And that's <laughs> like the whole point of werewolves is like that you can't, that it's like really messed. And that's why like, like I can't, I mean, there's a million reasons why I don't love Twilight, <laughs> but like, you know, removing the drawbacks from these, like being these types of monsters is like removes like a lot of the interesting part. Like, it is cool that vampires, like, can't go out into sunlight and, like... Cross have... rivers, need to be invited into homes. Right. Like, they're incredibly powerful, but they have these very specific weaknesses that you can exploit if you're paying attention and have the knowledge and stuff. And that's neat. And, like, getting rid of that or making a werewolf just able to kind of, like, turn into a werewolf whenever they feel like it is just, like... But... Yeah. The interesting the... stuff. All the old monster stories were, like, allegories or metaphors. Yeah. And now, like, with Twilight and probably the new Innistrad set, it's more like, here's some monsters, they do some cool stuff, they're better than you. Right. I mean, that's how all, still, good monster movies are all allegorical. Yeah. Like, that that's what makes horror good, is when it's something, it's based in something that you are actually scared of in real life, or something that, like, is unsettling unset yeah exactly like i mean i have a million examples but that's not what this podcast is about yeah so it's I'll like when you well i'll keep going <laughs> <laughs> it's when you like watch the movie and then you finish it and then you're just up for three hours thinking about it yes yeah i spent a lot of time like not really caring about horror movies and stuff but a couple of years ago i really started watching them and holy crap like there is some and also like a bunch of really good horror movies have come out in the past couple of years but yeah like hereditary playing on that like family dynamic sort of tension and also like i, I don't know just like there's, there's a lot of stuff horror movies are really really cool and it would be neat to see magic do something with that and Innistrad kind of did in some ways, but it mostly was references to touchstone things. And I, I think it's probably really hard to do in card form, but it does kind of suck because there's there's stuff that I love about horror that I, I don't really have much confidence we're going to see in the game. No, me neither. But I'm still, you know, excited to go back to Innistrad for like the fourth time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there will be some cool stuff. It's a graveyard set. I like graveyard sets. I do like graveyard sets. Yeah. If this turns out to be a tribal set and no graveyards, I'm going to be upset. Uh, yeah. Just give me Faithless Looting back. Easy. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Right, it'll be fine. I can't see 
anything going wrong with this plan. Is it also legal at that point in all the formats it was banned in? Give it to me in standard. Just standard let and me, Pioneer? Let me just do stuff with it. Yeah, let me do stuff with it in standard and Pioneer. Pioneer, Phoenix with Faithless Living and Treasure Cruise. <laughs> That seems I mean, little... you don't have Manamorphos. That is true. Manamorphos is the best card in the deck. Yeah, you have no free spells, but Faithless Looting would come really close to... <laughs> yeah, I, it would probably still be good. Oh, yeah, for sure. It right. would... It'd probably jump up, like, several tiers of playability. Right, for sure, because it is at about four right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're also getting Time Spiral remastered. And I don't have any information on this. I don't, like... Who's asking for the Time Spiral Remaster? I don't know, but if the limited format is... Clo- if, if it closely resembles, like, Time Spiral Block Limited, or, I mean, ideally, Time Spiral Planner Chaos Limited, but... You don't like Future Sight? Maybe it's just Sprout Swarm I'm anxiety. I'm pretty sure it's just Sprout Swarm, because there are a lot of really cool cards in Future Yeah, there are a ton of really cool cards. Lead in Fists and Blinking Bleb, the Red Enjambment, the Flowstone Embrace. Yeah, yeah. Even Second Wind. Yeah, even Second Wind. Future Side is nothing but cool cards. What's it called? Ikerslick? Ikerslick? Oh my god. That's the that's the Cycling peak. and Madness and a removal spell on one card. Yeah. It's just however much mana you had, you got to like choose like what you were doing with it. No, Future Sight did have a ton of cool stuff, but it screwed up the draft format because there was one insane common in it. And I think if they're trying to replicate, like, Time Sparrow Limited... You just don't put Sprout Swarm in that. Or you put it in, like, Rare. <laughs> yeah, sure. Give somebody the ability to have the Sprout Swarm experience, and... Yeah. And there's also going to be... In each pack, there's a an old bordered version of some card from magic and the examples they've given us so far are chalice of the void path to exile and relentless rats so i guess this is the they're taking out the like time shifted cards and doing this and i I don't know what the like pool of cards is going to be but it looks like you know it's certainly not just stuff before time spiral it's expanding over like all of new border yeah it's it's time shifted, but time is everywhere. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm I'm down for this because it's been a long time since I've gotten to not only play Time Spiral Limited, but like share that experience with other people. And it like some of my all time like favorite limited experiences were in that format. So Oh, it's it's one of my favorite formats of all time. Mostly because yeah. it there's just like so much text on every card. You get to figure out, like when you're learning the format, you get to figure out what the cards do while you're playing it, because a new ability matters this game, Yeah, but it won't the next. No, this is truly an expert level set. I know we don't do those categories anymore, but this is the most expert level block that was ever in Magic the Gathering. Yeah, it's it's wild, and a lot of fun. Because yes. there's so many cards. We were just talking about just cards in Future Sight, and all those cards we talked about had like weird mechanics or combinations of mechanics yeah that just aren't on any other card right <laughs> yes aura swap was a keyworded mechanic on one card in future sight yes don't forget about sliver cycling <laughs> uh, who could ever forget about sliver cycling <laughs> all slivers have sliver cycling <laughs> there's also wizard cycling on that set right on the vidalkin that comes to play and bounces a sliver yeah <laughs> What a weird format. God, it was so weird. But yeah, all of your cards could do like three different things. So you had to really like pick lines. Yeah, that's that's what made it really interesting to draft too. 
So I'm, and this is also it's a remastered set, like Amonkhet remastered, mm-hmm. but it's not an arena set. Right. Oh yeah. This a is a paper set. set. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I am cautiously optimistic for this. I like, this can't be a bad thing for me in any way. Like hopefully it is a set that I get to draft and share time spiral experience. I, like I remember when they brought back time spiral flashback drafts and like Collins and I were doing like a, a hundred hundredth epi- episode stream or something like that. And I got to like sit there and stream with Collins as he's like doing his first time spiral draft ever. And I'm, he's like, these cards are impossible to evaluate at first sight and stuff. And so I have to tell him which cards are bonkers. And it, it, and then when like some of these interactions happen, just like kind of watching that first time experience, like I, I'm, I'm excited to share that with people. Yeah. I was in well, one of those drafts yeah. with, with you and Collins. And it was funny because, you know, all the cards have 40 lines of text. Right. And Night of the Holy Nimbus just regenerated. Just and, it just <laughs> always did. Yes. <laughs> and we're like, why, why didn't it die? It just it doesn't do that. No, no, no. <laughs> they have to pay to make it not regenerate. It's, uh, it's very fancy. Also, it has flanking. <laughs> I, well, the one thing I will say about this format that kind of spooks me is that who cares about Time Sparrow? Like, to, mm-hmm. why would I buy Time Sparrow Remastered? That set was from a long time ago. Right. And there are so, so few cards that are, I actually want out of Time Sparrow. Right. Although, a lot, a bunch of the Future Sight rares are worth money still. Yeah, the original one was Goyf, right? Yeah, Goyf and parts of the land cycle. The Chromos particular... Memorial, I know, is in Future Sight. Worth yeah. Worth a pretty penny. There's the... Planner Cast has nothing in it. No. Planner Cast <laughs> does not have anything. And Tusperl has, like, Ancestral Vision? Yeah, it's got, like, some of the suspend-only spells, because they have never gotten reprinted, so they are just worth some amount of money because they're the only things that do that. And, yeah, I mean, there's, like, a handful of of Future Sight cards that are just, like, worth a bunch of money. But that that aside, like, Wizards is on this kick of hyper-monetizing everything. Agree, yeah. Everything. Very clear. So... One random uh, time-shifted card, that's just what I'm going to call them, mm-hmm. per pack. I Like, sure, I may get a Chalice of the Void, which would be incredible, because I really like the old bordered artifacts. Yeah. But I might get a Relentless Rats, and I don't care. You'd have to get a lot of those old bordered Relentless Rats to make an old bordered Relentless Rats deck, so. Yeah, it's just not worth it at that point. I do like, this old bordered Path to Exile looks really good, too, though. I'm I'm down for that. I I do not like the old borders yeah. for almost everything. I like the blue old border and I like the artifact old border. I like, I am not like an old board. Like it is boggling to me when people are just like, yeah, these old border cards are just so much like the, it's the pure magic. So more, be- so much more beautiful. And it's just like, it's like, it is very much like 1994 graphic design on, on, on that border. I think I'm probably mostly liking it just because it is different looking and that appeals to me in in some weird way. And I mean, like I did play with old borders and so there is some like this path to exile looks like it's from invasion block basically. And that like is kind of nice. Like I, I like that a little bit. Yeah. But like heaven help me if I open a gold bordered old border card, because <laughs> those were hard to read and very ugly. And I don't want my Teferis to look like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, right. The multicolor border was hideous. I wonder, 
Yeah, because that th that was the only one because there were not hybrid cards or anything. Like, there's nothing else they could use in that spot. Like, it would just be that gold, and it's just really bad looking, and the text on it is not legible. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I'm remembering how bad like half of Invasion Block looked. Like, it, it doesn't look great. And there also there's also you, you won't notice it unless you're like comparing them side by side. But the new borders have a gradient to them. Mm -hmm. That's the cut one color bleeds into the next. Yeah. The old cards don't have anything. They're just gold. They're, right, right, right. You open a pack of Alara Reborn, you like are stunned by you can't tell what colors things are. But when you open a pack of Invasion, half the colors are gold. You don't even know what colors they are. It, 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 they all look exactly the same, yeah. Uh, we also got a Yargle Secret Lair. Perfect. I, I really, we were talking about this right before we started recording. That's when Chris said, okay, we should probably record some of this. <laughs> and I really like the secret lair. Yeah, I mean, you know, we say, like, who was asking for Time Spiral Remastered, but I, we don't have that question with Yargle Secret. Like, everybody was, this was probably the number one request that they've gotten. Yargle Secret Lair, please. Yeah, it was actually on my calendar. I put it on my calendar <laughs> every year on September 3rd, which is, of course, Yargle Day. Yes. Yargle uh, Secret Lair when? I... Make sure to celebrate Yargle Day. And mm -hmm. I've just been waiting for a bunch of Yargle-themed cards to come out. Yeah, you make like a little pentagram of Yargles in your basement, and you light candles on each of them. Well, it's a bunch of triangles, because it's nine and three. Oh, sure. But yeah, okay. you're on the right path. Yeah, so I, yeah, you make like a six-pointed star out of them or something right. like that. Yeah. Sure. I mean, maybe don't do that, honestly. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I actually quite like this product. But there's nothing really bad about Secret Lairs. I think we've gone over a couple of them at this point. Mm -hmm. They're just like kind of cool auxiliary products that are mostly irrelevant or unnecessary. Or foil. Or foil. Some people like foil, so I'm not going to like hate on foils. Yeah, it just renders them unusable for me. Yeah, they're like bad for my personal taste. I don't like foils for a couple different reasons, but these aren't foil. And I'm probably, if the price point's like reasonable, I'll probably just buy this one. I have not bought a secret layer yet. Yeah, just to stick them in the cube. Yeah, got a I got a plow, an opt. The opt is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to describe that opt? Yeah, so it's. I'm sure everyone can picture the opt from Dominaria. Mm -hmm. That's the Teferi holding some sort of sphere with a Teferi statue behind him. Yep. So the Yargle opt is in the same like color palette and angle and everything. Same exact statue, same person in the foreground, except for the person in the foreground is not Teferi. It's Yargle. He's just like, "What's up, guys?" And the person, the statue behind him is Belzenlock. I do resent the implication that in-universe, nobody would have built a statue of Yargle. Well, that's because Yargle eats everyone who ever sees him. Yeah. But there's got to be some... Like, he's a legend, right? You yeah. can't be a legend unless there are stories. That's true, but... I like the better implication of that art, which is that Yargle's a planeswalker. Because mm. that, that's the Teferi story card where Teferi gets a spark. Okay. That's what, so the, the, that's what the ball is So this is. is the Yargle story card where Yargle gets his spark. Yeah, and then we see him on the next card on uh, Explorer, where he's just in Zendikar, just, where am I? I'm on Explorer's art now. <laughs> yeah, literally on <laughs> Explorer's art. He yeah. just sort of pasted on top of it. It's pretty nice. Yeah. I, I like the secret lair. Yeah. Secret layers in general, yeah, I don't have a huge problem with. I don't like the implementation where they skip straight past LGSs. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I think that there's stuff not to like about that. As far as just, like, a product goes, they are mostly fine. I don't... I 
dislike specifically the Fetchland secret lair because it's it was put forward as like here's one way that we're getting fetch lands out to y'all but they are way more expensive than regular fetch lands and just not available and also foil and also it comes in like 40 pounds of plastic and a special box that you don't give a shit about yeah and and it just wasn't i mean you know there's more like mishandling of fetch lands in the announcements today too so (laughs) that's so funny every time they announce something they're like oh by the way fetch lands are aren't in this set yes (laughs) because i mean scalding tarns and misty rainforest at like a hundred dollars or whatever like are they really good guys well i don't probably not anymore i know scalding tarn there's no way that it can be since that's what it was during phoenix days so there's no way that it's that much now and misty is always a little less than Scalding Tarn, but... Well, we've got Uro now, so that's not even true anymore. Yeah, I guess. And, I mean, just the blue fetches, it's particularly in teamer colors. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know the costs. I'm sure they are high. And they have announced that our standard legal set fetch lands, that we knew they weren't going to be standard legal, but they are in the obvious place, which is in box toppers for Zendikar, meaning there's just going to be no impact on fetchland prices whatsoever from that. No, and <laughs> the worst part about the box toppers is they are not just fetchlands, because mm-hmm. there's 10 fetchlands, so if you get like one every box, you can like maybe make an impact on some prices, yeah. or at least get some fetchlands. Yeah, probably. But they're also... A bunch of different lands in mm-hmm. that expedition slot. Like you can open a Carperline Gorge, fast lands. Mm-hmm. You can open up Ancient Tomb, Wastelands. So like some good lands, but right. It's but it's just not very focused. Fewer and fewer fetch lands. Right. Yeah, I, I I foresee that having no impact on the prices of fetch lands. Yeah, I, I think so too. Unfortunately, they are getting printed in our newly announced Modern Horizons two coming summer twenty twenty one. We are getting enemy fetch lands in that set. I would suggest that when that set comes out, about two to three weeks after the set comes out, assuming that people are buying paper cards then, if, if we're not, then this isn't going to matter anyways, really. Buy the enemy fetches that you are missing, because I think not too long after this set comes out, the enemy fetches will go back up. Because the Horizons set... I, I mean, Master Sets generally depress prices of the reprinted cards for a little bit and then seem to ignite enough interest in that format that then they all just go right back up to where they were. Well, it mostly depends on the scarcity of the cards that are being reprinted or how popular they are. Mm-hmm. The problem with Fetchlands is you just need a bunch of them. Right. All the time. Right. So, like, making 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 Imperial Recruiter available doesn't create a bunch of imperial recruiter players you only need about the same number of imperial recruiters as you ever needed so increasing the supply lowers the cost of that card yeah that card was like 300 dollars or something yeah now it's at 60 or 70 i think yeah it, it just doesn't matter very much right with fetch lands though the goal of wizards in one of the goals of wizards in printing a lot of these sets is like get more players playing and you're pumping out fetch lands, but you're also increasing the number of people who need fetch lands, and the supply of fetch lands that are coming out in these sets is not gonna be like that enormous. I also don't like that they said they were only printing enemy fetch lands in Modern Horizons right. too. Like, just put all ten in a set. I don't know what Wizards has against putting ten dual lands in a set. Well, it's just like 
Well, the allied ones are like within the realm of reasonable prices at this point. It doesn't so. matter. Just no, print them I, as often as you print Soul Ring and Commander. It's like the same philosophy to me. Like yeah. Soul Ring is the card everyone starts their Commander deck with. Yeah. Whether you think it should be legal or not, it just is. Much like Fetchlands, to be honest. But <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I, I, right. I don't think that we should have Fetchlands in any format. But we do. And they're very, very good. Very, very important. So just keep printing them. Print one. Print a set of them every year. Yeah, it it sucks because they are the absolute like cost of entry into any format that they are legal. You gotta have the fetch lands for the deck that you're gonna play. And I've bought all the fetch lands I own. Mm-hmm. The I, I I thankfully just was playing during Zendikar, so I just held on to the few I've held on to the blue ones, which are the only ones I ever play anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. I have all the allied colors from cons because I knew those were very, very good lands and I just bought them in cons even though I wasn't playing Magic at the time. Mm -hmm. But now, like, what if you weren't... Cons was in, what, 2014? That was six years ago. Right. So many more people started playing Magic since six years ago. Yeah. And they just have to buy... I don't know the price of Pluto Delta, but I imagine it's, you know, at least $30. I don't know either. But (laughs) it's at least 20 yeah, just generally, I, I agree, just these basic building blocks to the format, like, it sucks to just make them into, and, and I know that, like, dual land cell sets and stuff, and that's been a f- part of the philosophy for a long time, and yes, like, dual lands get to be rares in your sets, and they get to be desirable cards, but it really sucks for them to just be completely out of reach for a number of players, or just, like, a, a real serious burden to starting to play a format like this has just been true for a long time now they're also not sexy mm-hmm. like we we all know they're very very good but when i was newer at magic i did not want to buy Painlands mm-hmm. at all because like one they hurt me <laughs> and two <laughs> sure like I, I didn't appreciate how much they would actually help the mana base yeah and they were more expensive than forests you know right so i'll just play like forests and mountains and we'll just ignore the what well, I don't know how much money it was back then. Well, uh, but I just don't have to pay it because I'm playing with Forest of Mountains. Mm-hmm. Or nowadays you get like ta- coming to play tap lands like Thornwood Falls and Evolving Wilds. You just play with it instead. Yeah, gain and, a life. Yeah, and every time I play an F and M locally, I if I'm not playing against an experienced player, I'll play against a person with like a Guildgate in their deck, mm-hmm. and I don't blame them for it. No. Yeah. Like, I, if I was just starting out, I would much rather buy, like, Pyromancer Ascension or some cool rare than Adult Land. I don't know how many players just starting out look at Pyromancer Ascension and like, oh, yeah, this one, for sure. Right. But, you know, what I know about. what you're saying. Yeah. Also, I know that you literally were, would, would be at that point oh, yeah, when you were be. just starting out, yeah. so. Should we talk about some Zendikar Rising spoilers, though? Oh, I'd love to. Okay, great. Uh, just to... Like, mention the mechanics that we've gotten so far. We know that we are getting Kicker and Landfall. Looks like we are not getting allies. We are instead getting a party mechanic, which basically counts what you have on the battlefield between, what, Cleric, Rogue, Wizard, Warrior. Yep. And we also have these modal double face cards where you get to choose which side of the card that you are using. They're basically split cards, but the split is the entire card. Right. And they're like different card types, which you can't do on split cards. And yeah, I mean, sort of, you can't make like a permanent and a spell on a split card. So. It would be very difficult to tap. Yeah. Yes. Um, the party mechanic, and we'll go over some of these cards. I do think it's really funny that we're getting this like very clearly 
Dungeons and Dragons inspired mechanic a couple of sets before the actual Dungeons and Dragons set. Yeah, I I think we're just gonna see Party again next when that we, set comes we, out. We better, <laughs> and they'll both be in standard together. So it's gonna be like a Exelon uh, uh, Vampires and Soren vampire lord planeswalker mm. it's gonna be one of those things yeah yeah where the synergies are fully realized like you know a year later yeah well yeah and i mean like we've got a wizard plane for one of our planes <laughs> that's true i'm sure that the viking plane is a warrior plane oh there's a card in this set that says cowards can't block warriors is there there is yeah it, it's not been spoiled yet but it was teased oh, there, okay. there is a card with the text cowards can't block warriors well, and it can't be Bulwer Intimidator. No, that would be weird. Yeah, so interesting. It can't be that Nor in the Wary card either. No. <laughs> well, so let's scroll through some of these spoilers. I mean, number one, we've got a dual land cycle. A really cool dual land cycle. Yeah. These are the the pathway. I think they're all called pathways. Yes, they are. Which makes them actually really hard to figure out the names of these cards. Because all of them are, they have the same like naming convention because mm-hmm. they're dual, double double sided cards. Yeah, like the red white one is Needle Verge Pathway, and the flip side is Pillar Verge Pathway. Yeah, and I can remember that one because needles are pointy and pillars are not. <laughs> but when we go to the blue black one, it's like something water and something water it's like pathway pure water and murk water or something yeah like it's that. like clear water and murk water and i'm like is clear water if i'm just a clear water pathway i'm like is that the blue white one wait no is there a blue white one <laughs> but it's it's gonna take me a long time to figure out the name of these lands sure there is not a blue white one i don't believe no there isn't we got six of them yep there's three allied ones and three enemy ones I don't know how you pick that. I mean, it is not, like, unprecedented to get an unbalanced cycle for a little while. You know, that certainly happens every time we go to Ravnica. And we are supposed to be getting the other ones of these soon-ish. And hopefully, like, in the next set or something, but... I... I'm skeptical. Yeah. I hope it's just in the next set or something. But they seem so mechanically distinct that I don't really understand... Well, one of yeah, and, and there could be flip cards and like Innistrad or whatever, so they'll just throw them in Innistrad. But true, yeah, it, that's true. They're almost certainly coming in Innistrad, huh? But like when they say soon, I I can't take that at face value. Yeah, because Battle Bond came out in twenty eighteen, I believe, mm-hmm. and they had a cycle of duels. Yeah, the, the two player duels. Those are also box toppers, by the way. So delete the fetch pool, uh, but. <laughs> I, I imagine that the value of the, like, pimped out multiplayer focus oh, lands those is lands are actually extremely high. Quite expensive. Yeah. And, and they are the, I know the box topper for Luxury Suite, which is the red-black one, mm-hmm. is really good. I really like that one. Mm-hmm. But anyway, those cards were printed in Battle Bond two years ago. And they released, it was I think Gavin had a video or an article or something where he said... They had known about these cards being very popular while they were designing Commander Legends, and they had the other half of that cycle in Commander Legends while they were previewing Battle Bonds 5, mm-hmm. and they're finally completing that cycle two years later. Yeah. But at any point between Battle Bond and today, they could have said soon because they knew it was coming. <laughs> and two years is not soon. It's a standard rotation. Yeah. Well, but they need to... <laughs> 
fix the gaps in the dual lands to make standard like and i'm not gonna remember i i mean i guess what what do we not have we don't have rakdos we don't have Azorius. i can tell you which ones we do have right because we have the red white one the blue red one and the white black one mm-hmm. those are the enemy colored ones yeah. and then on the allied color one we have the green white one the blue black one and, and the, the green, red green the one. green red one yeah yeah so we're missing like Rakdos, Azorius, uh, Simic, Simic, something else. Golgari. Can't, Golgari, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're just like kind of not allowed to play those decks right now. Like you can use Triumphs and stuff. If you're trying to cast anything early though, it's like pretty awkward. It, whoa, excuse me, sir. You say Simic's not playable, but Uro still exists. This doesn't compute. Yeah, I I mean, I'm sure that it will be forced and it will be okay. Like, this is probably just, like, a reasonable nerf to those decks as all your duels come into play tapped and you've got to live with it and you got to play a bunch of duels because escaping Uro costs green, green, blue, blue. Yep. So, like, fine, I guess. It, it, it is just weird to be unbalanced like this without knowing. Like, every Ravnik set, you know that the other ones are going to come. Yep. And when they're going to come. This we just don't really know when we're when we're going to be able to play a Rakdos aggro deck, and we're, you know, we're losing Shocklands, and we're getting these as our only comes into play untapped duels, and that's I mean these lines are good. Yes, they are very good. They're quite good. They are effectively drawbackless compared to like basics, except they don't have land types. And so they make not necessarily splashing stuff, but if you have like, there aren't too many of these cards, but like if you had a card in your monocolor deck that had an off color activation, but was like fine without that, it is free to put the pathway that lets you activate the thing or play the other side of it or whatever. Like the old like mono red decks that maybe had some dragon skull summits Mm -hmm. where you had uh, cut to ribbons or something yeah yeah and just every once in a while you would get to and here you, you never get punished by your pathway right like unless you're playing a castle or whatever then you have to balance but uh they are very very good at fixing your mana if you have a bunch of like one pip cards in your deck it's a little more awkward if you have more complicated mana costs and you have to make these choices when you play the lands i like uh comparing these to fancy prismatic vista yeah is how i like to think of it yeah because you're only ever producing one color of mana with prismatic vista mm-hmm. or fabled passage or evolving wilds but it always comes way untapped yeah so you can't like casting uro even if there was a simic one would still be a little difficult with these lands because right. you're just not going to have that much blue or green mm-hmm. or when we were trying to cast niv mizzet back in guilds of Ravnica standard you really needed to draw like steam vets right because <laughs> those that was Stevens and Soulfall is the only blue red. Right, because sometimes you draw four islands. and Yeah, and you're like, oh, this is not or, great for or, I mean, sometimes business. you draw like three islands. Yeah, yeah. And you just have to make up for whatever you're disproportionate you thing happened. And if you have to choose with your land that you played on turn one or two, then you might end up on the wrong end of that. But where I do really, really like these is aggressive decks. Yeah. Like, they're very good for aggressive decks. Yep. You can play with your Goblin Guide and... You know, I don't know what form this is yet, but you can play your, your, no, your one drop. And then later in the game, you can turn it into a green land and have a combat trick or a fight spell or a naturalize or whatever you need. Right. Without being like, <sighs> play my rootbound, crag, tap to turn one, <laughs> you're up. Right. I mean, I'm still not optimistic that these particularly enable aggro decks in standard because 
we don't have more than when we had the shock lands. No. Like this doesn't help. And it's actually kind of worse because other decks aren't playing shock lands. And so like we didn't get, we didn't make up any ground for the aggro decks mana base wise, at least. No. And I really hate the shock lands you're leaving. I think they should pretty much always be legal. Yeah. I wouldn't mind that. I, I just like, how do you build a gruel deck? You've got your pathway and then you've got, just like before, temples, triome, triome, fabled passage. Yeah, nothing has really changed. So right, they're gonna have to give us some new dual lands, or preferably just some better aggressive cards. If they want to see aggro decks keep up. With yeah, the nonsense that is the top end they've been printing recently. Right, and I mean because of the dual line thing, we've seen only monocolor aggro decks really. I mean, Winota is a, a totally different animal, but we've really only seen like right now mono green is seeing some amount of play and before that at points mono red was the only reasonable way to do ember cleave is basically what that deck was yeah and just because you can't cast spells consistently of multiple colors in an aggressive deck and then you hold that up against the slower decks that are able to leverage triumphs and stuff and just reach into several different colors doesn't so. feel good to be an aggressive deck in 2020, that's for sure. It just does not. Anyways, we've spent a lot of time talking about... I mean, but the implications of the dual land cycle are probably the most significant part of the set. Yeah, mana is the most important facet of Magic the Gathering, colors and stuff. Yep. Your mana base is going to be the most important part of Standard. That's just how it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. It's determined a lot of just what this format has been recently. You know, well, always does, but... You can think of very specific examples of like things being good and things being not good because of the mana we have available. Yeah. And on what turn it is available and stuff. The entire reason Gruul... Gruul has so many good cards in standard right now. Mm -hmm. It really does. Yeah. Like so many different haste creatures and big beefy things. Gruul Spellbreaker is legitimately a great card. Yeah. And how much Gruul do you see in standard? Pretty much none. Right. It's just too inconsistent. Yeah. And the mid-range or decks can just... Is, are very consistent, and they mm -hmm. go over the top of it so easily. Yep. Yeah. Don't sleep on the mana. It's no joke. And Gruul is losing, like, a lot of its good cards in this oh, rotation. I mean, yeah, it loses all the Ravnica cards, so... Yeah. We're gonna do a rotating out of standard Rest in Peace episode. Uh, to the I Will Remember You song? Yeah, yeah. Of course. But, like, that will be, honestly... You know, we're looking at Zendikar Rising previews, but the thing I'm thinking about most is the stuff that is leaving the format as Zendikar comes And what in. isn't leaving the format. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going to be hard for stuff in Zendikar Rising to compete with the Throne of Eldraine stuff that we still have. And, but we are going to be really defined by not having to worry about Nyssa and Hydroid Crisis anymore and not having to deal with the War of the Spark Planeswalkers generally. Although... Got at least one of those banned out of standard. Yep. What's next? What do you want to talk about? Uh, what impressed you during spoilers this morning? There's some interesting ones. Nothing has jumped out as, like, obviously bonkers. You want to talk about the Planeswalkers, then? Because we know there's three Planeswalkers in the set, right? And we know all of them. Yeah, we can talk about them. Uh, I do think that Jace Mirror Mage is pretty cool. I think that card's incredibly good. Yeah, I think so, too. 
Uh, one blue blue for a four loyalty planeswalker, plus one, scry two, zero, draw a card and reveal it. Remove a number of loyalty counters equal to that card's converted mana cost from Jace Mirror Mage. And it's got kicker two when it enters the battlefield. If it was kicked, you make a token that's a copy of this, except it's not legendary, and its starting loyalty is one. So I think that the ability to cast this on three or cast this on five on a planeswalker is hugely powerful it's very 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 good like i i <laughs> we, we kind of both fell into the trap of jace cunning castle right where maybe this could be playable someday yeah because it's cheap yeah and it whatever was no not even close but this one is like got good abilities and a good stat line mm-hmm. like four loyalty that goes up to five for three mana yeah i mean it doesn't provide any card advantage right away if you do that because you're just scrying yeah but a scry two is like pretty relevant yeah it's very good and once you get to the kicker Mm -hmm. two of these in play work together so well yeah scry with one to draw the card with the other right yeah you can set up and and depending on which what your loyalty cost is because this the zero ability isn't a zero ability it kind of costs loyalty yeah just what whatever the top card of your library is Mm -hmm. so you can figure out between which of your two jaces is going to be the scrying and which one's going to be the damaged. Yeah. So you can like sacrifice your little one if you know you need a big card on top. Or you can set up with your little one and take some loyalty off your big one. Mm-hmm. It's just... Right. Or if you know that you're trying to draw a land, then you're just determining which one is important to put the plus on like to, to keep going for the future. Yeah. It's a really interesting card, both like in gameplay and design. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very strong. Yeah, I think so too. I think... Being both a fine early play that maybe won't be the most powerful thing you could possibly do on three, but is completely acceptable, and then being able to bridge that into a, a good five mana play, like that's solid. It's also a cool five mana planeswalker I like to see, mm-hmm. where it's basically just a turtle engine. Mm-hmm. You're you're just scrying and drawing cards. Yeah, it's not doing anything to their board, but there's a lot of different permutations of what you can do with those two planeswalkers for five mana sure and it's not like vivian monsters advocate is the accordion one i believe yeah where you just play it look the top credit library make a beast yeah then make a beast (laughs) that card's gonna be good oh that card is good like yeah you just can't play it when you could play nissa we're gonna see a ton hopefully i'm not wrong on this but i i think monsters vivian advocate is extremely potent Especially since I've been seeing it in Pioneer, mm-hmm. people using the tutor ability to string together combos. Yeah, certain yeah. combos of cards. Yeah, I don't think we'll see like combos in standard, but just a five mana planeswalker that pluses to make a three three is base good, fine. Yep, and then she's casting stuff off the top of your deck. Yeah, and she's like has a she basically draws cards mm-hmm. and then has a tutor ability. Yeah. A card I really like the design of, but I think it's quite strong, and I do not like it. <laughs> I, I don't like Planeswalkers that plus and make creatures bigger than, like, a 1-1. Right, right. Uh, so our other Planeswalker that we've got here is Nahiri, Heir of the Ancients. Two red-white for loyalty Planeswalker. Plus one, create a 1-1 white core warrior creature token. You may attach an equipment you control to it. Minus two, look at the top six six cards of your library. You may reveal a warrior or equipment card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And minus three, Nahiri deals damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to twice the number of equipment you control. So not a super impressive minus three, but makes creatures 
grabs cards from your library. I don't think this is overall just like a, a particularly strong Planeswalker, but does potentially fit pretty well in like a Winota deck. Winota is a warrior. The one ones are not humans. Like I, I could see it in a deck like that. Yeah, I, I can too. Embercleave's also an equipment. Mm-hmm. It's very strong. Yeah. I can't imagine Nahiri seeing a bunch of play. Yeah. But I, I think if there's some sort of red white, whether it's Mardu mm-hmm. or even just I don't know. Some red white deck out there, maybe core or good and centered in red white. This could maybe be a sideboard card. If we do get good equipment, enough that an aggro deck that has a healthy amount of equipment in it is a thing, I think this then becomes a good card. Because if you ever are in a spot where you just have an equipment on the table, like that usually ends up being really difficult to leverage that equipment. This Nahiri can keep equipping that equipment for no mana. And, and providing bodies to it. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think that is very... Uh, it's a really good point. If equipment is good, mm-hmm. even if there's just one good equipment... Right. If there's a sword that you're just like, I want to, I want this these swords in my deck. Yeah, if there's a sword of like white and blue or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever color they haven't done yet. They've yeah. done white and blue, whatever. If there's a, some sword of X and Y in the set, every creature equipped with that sword is a threat. Mm-hmm. So... Nahiri makes a threat every turn at that point. Yeah. Forces you to deal with it, and that would be good. I'm skeptical that it would still be need, needed to be, like, main deck at that point, but mm. at least you could, if the, if the equipment's strong enough, you could just tutor for it. Yeah. Like Embercleave is. Right, and I mean, you, so her, like, card advantage thing, like, the fact that it's a minus two is, like, kind of brutal. A minus two that only looks for a very narrow subset of cards. Right, and if you come down and do that, like, that leaves her on two loyalty, and she didn't put anything on the board. Like, she's gonna die. Yeah, she's shockable. Yeah. Or stompable. Stompable, right. So, that, I mean, that said, I think that's a fine trade-off for having a Planeswalker that can put a body in front of itself. Yeah. Like, sure. It's not ideal that you can just stomp Nahiri when she comes down. But if you think that's a factor, you just... You plus and then you minus on your turn. Then you have a five loyalty planeswalker with a body in front yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, equipping for free is no joke if we get playable equipment, which is a huge if. It's a giant if. Yeah. I think the last playable equipment we got in Standard were, you know, in New Phyrexia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yes, that's just true. Oh, also, I didn't talk about this in the set announcement, but I the, the last playable equipment was in New Phyrexia. That was the set before Innistrad, and we will have gone to Innistrad three times before going back to Mirrodin. <laughs> God. Yeah. Which means, you know, the playable equipment, long time coming. Well, to be fair, each time we've gone to Mirrodin... We have gotten some broken cards. I think they're a little gun-shy at this point. I mean, I agree. But, you know, I look at the past year and I think, okay. But they should be even more gun-shy after the past year. I, I feel like they can do some stuff with some colored mana. That, that was a problem with the old Mirrodin set, especially the very first Mirrodin set. Right. Where everything was super cheap and colorless, so everyone would play it. Yep. That just clearly doesn't, it's not balanced at all. No, definitely not. Well, and then they, they you know, I think they went back to Mirrodin and they were like, yeah, we're not going to make the same mistakes as last time. But then Phyrexia Mana was exactly that mistake. Yeah, they forgot. They like didn't make any powerful enough artifacts right. that were cheap. Right. Like, that was the thing they avoided is, is just like, 
yeah, we just can't. We just got to watch the 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 artifacts. We just can't make those too strong. And they didn't. But <laughs> they they forgot that you know, Frexy mana is not really mana. <laughs> it's more like fancy life total. <sighs> So we should talk about Valakut Awakening. Do you want to talk about Nissa first, or do you want to skip her for later? Uh, we can talk about her later, or kind of not, or whatever. Or never? Wow. We'll talk about her at some point. I mean, she's not super interesting to me. What does she do? Just make 33 menace creatures? Yeah. She turns she turns her land... Alright, fine. I guess we are talking about her. <laughs> Alright. Nissa, Shattered Bows, two black green, four loyalty, landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a loyalty counter on Nissa. Plus one untap target land you control. You may have become a 3-3 elemental creature with haste and menace until end of turn. It's still a land. Minus five. You may put a creature card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of lands you control onto the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters on it. Honestly, I think this card might not be playable. It seems really bad to me. So it's mostly just a way to attack, right? Because it's... You can get a lot of loyalty with her, but she's just an extra threat. I think this card's playable, but not like... Okay, but if you're trying to attack and you have four mana, why aren't we casting Questing Beast? No, we cast Questing Beast every single time there. Yeah. But on turn five, after our Questing Beast has died or is still alive and we just need to add to the board, Mm -hmm. you don't want to add another creature to the board because then you're prone to shadow this guy. So you play a Planeswalker, then you play a land, you get a free loyalty... Then you can uptick if you want to to go land. And then when your questing beast dies, you can get it back with Nissa. Okay, what about the fact that we didn't get a green-black duel in this set? Oh, right. I forgot. <laughs> okay. It might not be playable until we have green-black mana. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. I think that this card is just a little too specific to one thing that these colors don't even want to do. Yeah. That I... I think this card's really bad. I'm, I'm not convinced it's bad, but I don't I don't think it's, like, good. Yeah. I don't think it's great. I think it's better than Nahiri, because Nahiri has so many, like, variables and question sure. marks. Yeah. Like, I, I think Nahiri is much worse than this Nissa. I think Nahiri's, like, weird and wide enough that, like, you know, it's got, like, a lot of hooks. And if one of those hooks, like, catches, then maybe something can happen with it. Like, this Nissa, like, I understand what it's giving me, and I just don't want that. Okay, I can see that. Red-white is such a bad color combination, though. I can just see a green-black deck existing at some point, and they just throw this in the sideboard, because why not? I don't know. Like, I think you just... Are you saying you wouldn't play this card in, if I want a like, Planeswalker. Golgari Findbroker world? If I want a Planeswalker for my turn after Questing Beast, I'm going to play Vivian Monsters Advocate. Yeah, that is the real problem with this card. It just does everything it does better. Yeah. I, I just don't... I don't think this card is good. Oh, I, I don't think it's good either. <laughs> okay. But I do think it's, like, fine. Yeah, like, maybe there's a spot for it. I'm never... It's But, see, the, the problem is, like, for a multicolored card to be, like, relevant, it's usually got to be like, wait, but if I'm green-black, then I could play Nissa, And, like, that's not what I'm getting here oh, at all. No. You open one in your, you know, pack of mm-hmm. cards you bought for some reason. Mm-hmm. And you stick it in a deck and you figure out if it's good or not, but you don't have any high spe- expectations for it. I think that's the most play Nessa will see. Yeah, I, I just, like, it doesn't do anything exciting for me. We can talk about Valakut Awakening now if you want. Yeah, this card is exciting to me. This is a, a wild card. On one side, it's an instant 
two in a red, put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library, then draw that many cards plus one. On the other side, it's just a land that comes into play tapped and makes a red mana. Yep. I <laughs> I remember a tweet from uh, Brian Gonalib, mm-hmm. which was, man, I can't wait until all these value cards rotate out and we can just play fewer than... 30 lands in our standard decks because <laughs> you know everyone's just been playing so many lands in their standard decks nowadays because the catch-up me- mechanisms they printed are so good especially uro yeah where you just if you always hit your land drops you're never going to run out of cards mm-hmm. so people just started building their decks with so many more lands yeah but now <laughs> we just have spells attached to our lands, so we're never going back to 20 land decks ever yeah but it's kind of like you have spells in some of those slots. But really, this is just a land with, like, fancy cycling. Yeah. But just, like, that is a really high level of cycling attached to this thing, where you get to cycle all of the excess lands in your hand or whatever. And I I think that's a huge upside on if you can afford that comes into play top line. Like, the, the cost is pretty low obviously you're not put your i mean i guess not even obviously but probably you're not putting this in too many scorch spitter type decks no, no. but is it like with combo decks that have red in them and can afford this uh, comes into play tap mountain I, I i think that there's a lot here and we're gonna see uses that i just am not expecting at all that's true i i hadn't thought about like a, a combo deck because those just don't happen in standard very often <laughs> But yeah, that that's interesting because you usually want not that many lands because you always want to be doing something. Yeah. So having a spell that can get you gas later in the game and be mana early is interesting mm-hmm. for sure. Have you seen the black one? Do we have the black one on this? Um, it's Palaka something. Oh, I think it's up at the top here. Palaka Predation. Uh, so it's a, a black comes into play tap land on one side and the other side is... Two in a black sorcery, target opponent reveals their hand. You may choose a card from it with converted mana cost three or greater. That player discards that card. So I read this card and it was very, I had no idea how to evaluate it. Mm -hmm. Because on one side, it's going to play tapped black land. That's like the unexciting side that you would never put in your deck. Mm -hmm. The other side is a really weird discard spell. Yeah. Because discard spells are better the cheaper they are and the less restrictive they are. Yeah. Those are the two modes that discard spell scale off of Mm -hmm. so i'm used to three mana discard spells being like coercion where you can take whatever you want yeah because it's a three mana card because you spend a lot on this non-board affecting thing and you know by that point in the game if you draw the coercion past turn three like on turn five or six Mm -hmm. your opponent may not have that many cards in hand yeah that's what i don't like about this is late in the game the land is bad and the spell is bad yeah the the red one is a rare this is only uncommon so I imagine there's more than just, like, five of these? Probably. Which is neat. We, yeah, int- that is interesting. You'd think it would be a cycle of comes into play tap monocolor lands with a spell on the other side. Yeah. Interesting. One thing I will say for the checklist cards in this set, instead of printing an actual checklist card, so Shadows of Innerstraud had one where it just had a list of all the different uh, mm-hmm. card names in two columns, the they they have new card that's called a helper card. It's like basically the same thing as checklist card, but instead of having like lists of the names on the card, it has two blank lines, mm. and you just write in the front half, the second half, 
and then it has a bunch of blank space for whatever you're not allowed to like write cyborg guides on it or whatever but you can just draw a happy little picture right you whatever can you do your do. impression of the art or whatever yeah i actually like that quite a bit because yeah, i that's your thing. hate checklist cards i just oh they're hideous i can't tell what they are in yeah. my hand i don't oh, want to I look them. at them i never play with them so these have a front and a back right yeah that when they're not like on the stack or the battlefield or whatever they are the side with you know, normal colored text, I guess. I would compare them to Search for Iscanta because everyone just played with those. Sure. Search for Iscanta is never a land unless it's specifically on the battlefield and already transformed. Sure. So that is one thing to keep in mind is that these land spells can get thought seized or duress out of your hand. Yep. That would be so painful mm-hmm. if you just keep a, like, Palaka Predation hand. Yeah, you keep a two land hand or whatever. Then get the rest, and they take your plocker predation. You miss, and you're oh no. Yeah. Yep. So watch out for that. I mean, I think a lot of them are going to be included in your deck as like land twenty seven and twenty eight or something. You know, like yeah, high land count. But you can't get greedy against these duress or hand disruption effects. No, definitely because not. if you miss on your land drop, and you were counting on it, that's an easy way to lose the game. Yes, of course. Um, let's see some other stuff. Legion Angel is a really cool design. This is two white white for a 4-3 flying angel warrior. When it enters the battlefield, you may reveal a card you own named Legion Angel from outside the game and put it into your hand. I like the little puzzle that it makes you solve of like, how often do I want to solve this versus how many do I want to be able to chain off of? I think like, if it is good, my default is like, three main and one on the sideboard and then post board you can take one out because post board games are often grindier (laughs) so when you draw one you want to be able to like keep going with it yeah that's interesting i had been thinking of like a a two and one split Mm -hmm. just to like because you don't usually want that many four drops that basically don't do anything sure and drawing two of these is horrible horrible yeah you you just want to draw one and then have the free one and then play it again if you want to Mm -hmm. but it is definitely an interesting card so i think that it in some ways like kind of reminds me of rekindling phoenix because it like requires multiple removal spells but the mana investment is so much higher the like deck building considerations are a little more complicated and it doesn't run creature combat the way that rekindle like if they didn't have removal spells like, they could never attack you if you had a Rekindling Phoenix. Yeah, and, and this thing just dies once, and they know you have to spend four mana for another one. Right. So I think it's an interesting way to grind through a removal deck specifically, but not great in a lot of matchups. And you also probably... I don't know how many decks can afford the sideboard slots to put right. angels in their sideboard. Because it's not a card you'd sideboard in. Right. You probably only are spending one, and it's, like, similar to your companion slot sort of thing. But, yeah, I mean, that it's certainly a cost. Like, it's a pretty real cost. This card is a warrior, mm-hmm. which matters for party stuff. We yeah. don't really have any party payoffs right now, so who knows if that'll be relevant. Yeah, I, I think this is a huge party payoff, but it is a little difficult to enable fully. This is Coveted Prize, four and a black for a sorcery. The spell costs one less to cast for each creature in your party, so you get credit for, like, each thing up to four. Yeah, you can't have a changeling be your entire party. I I know that for a fact. You can't do that. Right. Oh, okay. Well, then I don't really care about this 
card, I guess. Yeah, the, there is a card in this set that is some 3-2 elf for 2 mana. Yeah. And it counts as every creature type for a party, rogue, cleric, wizard, warrior. But it's just it just fills in your missing slot. It doesn't yeah. fill all four slots. Yeah, the thing about party is that you have to have, like, a literal party. You have to gotcha. have a member of each thing. Okay. And changelings would be a wild card in that slot. Okay. But they're not going to be an entire party. You could you can't take an, a whole dungeon on with just game sure. changeling. Yeah, no, I mean flavorfully, like this certainly makes sense. But it is a little disappointing for like trying to make these cards work. Yeah, I think the ability or the requirement of devoting four creatures to the board mm-hmm. before you're getting the full payoff is going to be so hard to realize. It's just a non-starter and constructed, right? So like this one is four and a black for a sorcery. It costs one less to cast for each creature in your party. Search your library for a card, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. If you have a full party, you may cast a spell with converted mana cost four or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. So if you were to make this work, one black mana, search your library for a card with converted mana cost four or less and cast it. Well, it's even better than that, right? It is better than that, but that's like the default thing. Like, that's obviously completely insane, but... Good job if you managed to do that and construct it. Yeah, what what mean what had to have happened for that to be the case mm-hmm. is that you've had to have played four creatures already before this spell. Yeah. And then have them on the board still. Right. And need a tutor. <laughs> well, okay, so imagine that you did this. Okay. And then you coveted prize for Winota, and then you attack with your four party members. That sounds excellent. It does sound excellent. Because there's probably not that many humans in my party no i i think that like that if coveted prize is a thing it's probably because it's getting winota but i just like i can't imagine having a full party and constructed yeah it's it's gonna be hard even with the two mana changeling ish elf yeah to juru paragon yeah one thing that is really cool though is that outlaws merriment makes a rogue a warrior and a cleric. And a cleric. Yeah. Hopefully you random the yeah, right ones. You randomly threw <laughs> through the, all three. It's the party finder in some MMO and just like three clerics show up. <laughs> it's, we're never going to beat this dungeon. We're never going to win the coveted prize at this party. Come on, guys. We need a warrior and a rogue. <laughs> There's no tank. They're just healing the wizard. Stop. <laughs> so, yeah. I think it is. I just like. And not excited to try to fill a party and construct it. That sounds really, really hard. You're going to have to reward. What needs to happen for parties to be filled and constructed is there needs to be kind of like a Moxopal type card, which is a payoff that is an enabler. Mm -hmm. So if there's a creature that's one of those creature types that keys off of other stuff. Sure. maybe Maybe we can get started. Seems unlikely that there isn't stuff like that. Like here we've got Lavinia, Shield of C8. Linvala. L- yeah, sorry. We've got Linvala, Shield of Seagate, one white blue for a 3-3 flying angel wizard. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party, uh, you detain a non-land permanent. It can't attack or block and can't be activated until your next turn. And you can sacrifice Linvala to choose hexproof or indestructible. Creatures you control gain that ability until end of turn. So mostly this is like a big old selfless spirit. But if you do manage to put a party together like you're just getting rid of whatever their best thing is each turn yeah that's certainly interesting and she is a warrior i would she's a wizard or sorry (laughs) she is a one of those things it's it's bad that one of them that two of them start with the same letter like that's actually like 
bad design. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I know. But it's it's iconic. So yeah, I know. They went with it. One weird thing that I've noticed with the creature typing, uh, rogues are only in black and blue. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to play Linvala, there's no white-blue duel. There's a blue-black duel. Sure, yeah. Well, yeah, this is the second multicolor card from the set that just doesn't have a, the dual land to go with it. Yeah. That's terrible. And it's one of the main mechanics of the set. Th- that said, this card is good. Yeah, for sure. Like, as a standalone card. Right. Just a 3-3 three, three flyer for three with the sacrifice ability being, like, a fancy selfless spirit. Yeah. That's a solid card. A a a solid A card. Mm-hmm. And not A- minus or A+. Plus, yeah. It's, it's right. fine. It, it fits into some strategies. And you can ignore the party text a vast majority of the time, I imagine. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to assemble a party with Linvala as your wizard, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to get warriors and rogues in your deck. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the mana now. Yeah, I don't know how you are supposed to do this in Constructed. Because most of the warriors are black and green and red, right? Right. Like, I can get cards that are... Obviously, this one isn't quite pushed for constructed playability, but it is like the type of card that I could see you leveraging in a a, a, a card that's more designed for constructed. But this is Spoils of Adventure, four white, blue, instant, gain three life, draw three cards. It costs one less to cast for each creature in your party. So if you have two, then you are getting paid on. You don't have to have the full party in order to do it. Right. That makes a lot more sense to me than trying to get four different creatures from, like, different colors and stuff into play. I I, I don't know about the party mechanic if it's focused on having a full party in the constructed pushed cards. Yeah, we'll need to see a bunch more cards from it, I think. Mm-hmm. But I'm, right now, from what I've seen, I think it's mostly going to be limited only. Mm-hmm. And if it makes a splash and construct it, it's going to be with cards like Linvala, where it just never happens where you have a full party, or it happens every once in a blue moon and the game's way over already. Yeah. Yeah. Because who's going to have, who's going to let their opponent have four creatures in play and constructed and not die? Yeah. How, have you ever been alive against somebody who's like untapped with four creatures in play? Like, no way. <laughs> like, you have four creatures in play too. I can just see it. But then, like, what are either of you doing? Right. Some non-party stuff. We get Lotus Cobra back. A cool throwback from the original Zendikar. Yeah, and not Mythic this time. Yeah, which is great. because yeah, It's not a Mythic rare. I really, really like the art, too, of the showcase ones. It's cool looking. The, the way the showcases work in this set is that all the landfall cards have a showcase card. Mm-hmm. And I've only seen three of them. The Lotus Cobra, the Omnath, and there's some Lizard that's a common that doesn't matter. And the art direction for these is just all the colors. It's just... <laughs> Just saturated. Yeah. This the lotus on the lotus cover is really, really cool looking. I like the like thick outlines and yeah. If I put this card in the Lotus Cobra in a parking lot around my car, it'd just be an effective traffic comb. <laughs> <laughs> well, this does look like like you could paint this on the side of a van and it would look right. Oh, it would look yeah, it would look good. Yeah. <laughs> uh Lotus Cobra's probably gonna be fine to good. I don't think that it like the ceiling on Lotus Cobra in a Fetchland format is really, really high. In standard, you know, we do have Fable Passage, but the turn after Lotus Cobra, if you go Fable Passage, then you've really just built a Paradise Druid out of that. Yeah. And 
I think that it's going to be more useful in that it's like a pretty high floor mana creature. Like you can cast it and then get a mana out of it. So it only costs you a mana on a like turn three, turn four Lotus Cobra. Or it lets you like double spell with your Uro frontside cast and and also like fixes your mana given our terrible land situation. Or if you get very lucky, you can play Fable Passage on turn three to play a three drop. Mm-hmm. Then another one on turn four, then you can crack both your Fable Passages for extra mana. Mm. Well, I mean, one thing that you can do with it is Lotus Cobra on turn two. Turn three, you play a land. It could be, it could even be a Fable Passage. You play a Fable Passage, get a mana, cast Uro. You could put like another Fable Passage into play, and then you just have a ton of mana. That's true. Our Lotus Cobra is one of those cards that's so innocuous when you first start it, and then the more cards that put lands into play, especially for free, yeah, it just gets better and better. And I'm pretty interested in the application of these like spell land flip cards in an uro deck just because like you never want to run out of lands if you're doing uro stuff but at some point it's like all right let's cast some spells do you know if you can put these into play with uro as lands i'm not actually sure i actually have no idea i you have i feel like you have to be able to because it's not a land card in your hand but it is you can just play it as a land Oof. We'll have to we'll have to come back to this once we have an answer. Right. Because it's like pretty important for But Uro. you can use it as your your land drop. Your land drop and yeah. use Uro with a regular land. And I mean sometimes that wouldn't work depending on the order that you draw your cards like, or like whatever. Maybe you have maybe you don't have a fourth land and you draw a Valakut whatever yeah. as your fourth air quotes land. Yeah. And maybe Uro can't play it. I'm not sure how the rules work yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean completely new card types, so we don't know that that functionality. But Regardless, I do think probably some number of these in an Uro deck, not the, not Valakut Stoneforge specifically necessarily, yeah. but some number of these land spells will be good in order to like kind of artificially up your land count. I think Lotus Cobra actually may just be a requirement for Uro decks because Uro decks lose most of their mana fixing. Yeah. They just have Triomes, which granted they do have two Triomes, two blue-green Triomes. Well, but there the, just comes into play Tapline. Like, yeah, Lotus Cobra makes coming to play Tapline so much better because yeah. you're not losing the tempo. Granted, you do have to play the Cobra, mm-hmm. so it's not free. Yeah, but what else are you doing on turn two anyways? Exactly. And the Lotus Cobra fixing your mana for, you know, the flashback cost or the escape cost of Uro, mm-hmm. that's going to be pretty big too. Yeah. One other thing is... There's a tension there where you have a good two, so they want removal. But in a post-board game, you may not want Lotus Cobra in your deck anymore. True. Especially if they... It's just a slow matchup. Yeah. And and they have, like... There's a, like, Fatal Push analog in this set. And you're just like, I don't want you to have targets for that at one mana. Yes. Blood Chief's Thirst right next to Lotus <laughs> Cobra, actually. Black mana sorcery. Destroy target creature or planeswalker with converted mana two or less. If this spell was kicked, instead destroy target creature or planeswalker. I think this is a, a perfectly acceptable removal spell for standard. It's quite a good one. It's just one black mana to kill a small thing. Mm-hmm. I don't. It doesn't kill any small planeswalkers in standard. Right. <laughs> but it kills all the small creatures. And then larger four mana is not what you want on a sorcery. But it does kill anything. Yeah, and it just gives it added application. This is a, a spell that you are very happy to draw against an aggro deck if that exists, and also can kill like planeswalkers and whatever. Like it, it it's just has enough 
different applications and the fact that it's a removal spell that you want to draw against the aggro deck and then you can spend more mana against the bigger decks like that's nice i was i was looking if jace mirror mage made a copy of himself it is a copy yeah so you can't you're not killing many planeswalkers you can't kill the token with blood chief's thirst right unfortunate can we talk about omnath yeah we should talk about omnath you can read this one if you want oh i would love to okay so omnath locus of creation Mm mm-hmm is a red, green, white, blue card. That's what everything that black is. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's a legendary creature elemental. You know, it's Omnath. We've seen it a million times. Uh, when he enters the battlefield, draw a card. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain four life. If it's the first time ability, it says resolve this turn. If it's the second time, you add four mana. And if it's the third time, it does four damage to each opponent and each planeswalker you don't control. This card pays you for being these four colors. Yeah. Does it, it, is this additive? No. So it can only, you can only go up the chain once in a turn. So the most you can get out of it in a turn is get four life, get four mana, and it's colored mana. It's it's the four mana and it's mana cost. Right. So if you play this, play a Fable Passage and crack it and get a land, like this was a zero mana spell. Oh, that's true. On five. That's neat. Yeah, and guess what gets you to five? Is it Lotus Cobra? Or Uro? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> turn three, turn three Uro, turn four Omnath, Fabled Passage. Like, do whatever you have five mana and, and you use use the mana to play another Uro to get the four to get the, damage. Well, well, I think that's a that's the thing that's going to happen a lot. Yeah. Like, thank God. I mean, it would have rotated anyways, but like, thank God we don't have Gross Spiral with this thing. Yes. Oh, this card's interesting. It's so hard to cast. It but is. But Lotus Cobra does make it a little friendlier. Yep, and I think Lotus Cobra helps make up for the fact that you probably have a bunch of Triumphs in your deck with this thing. Yeah, almost certainly. And you're definitely going to be playing Uro with this card. Yes. I, I think it's bonkers with Uro. Well, yeah, it's also blue-green, so yeah, you're locked like, in. <laughs> you're already there. It's hard to escape off of the free mana from omnath but if you have two other lands like it's providing half of the escape cost of row depending on where you're at in the game this also draws you a card when it comes into play yeah so it's free on several different axes yeah if you can play this and play a fable passage like you spent zero cards and zero mana on this that's nice i this is one of those cards where I need, I really need to see the mana bases at work. Yeah. Because that's what's going to predicate if this card's playable or not. Mm-hmm. Its text is definitely strong, but if you, even if you can cast it reliably, like maybe the cost isn't worth it in your mana base. Yeah. It's totally, yeah, I mean, four colors is a lot. Because you're not always going to have Fabled Passage too. And just getting a single trigger off this is four life. Sure. Which is fine. It's nothing to sneeze at from a cantripping Mm 4-4. But you really want to be getting the mana. Well, but also like, you know, playing a normal game, if you go Lotus Cobra into an untapped land, cast this. Like, you just cast a four mana 4-4, draw a card. If they don't kill it, like, you're probably going to mess them up. It's like a little Uro. Yeah. 4-4 Four four the drill card and gain some life. Yeah. And and like if you untap with it, then you can do whatever like card drawing to find a fable passage or cast an Uro and that like Uro on its own gets you to a bunch of free mana. It's a weird little bridge card, now that I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Like it just gives you things to do while your main plan is getting an order. Yeah. 
but it does cost four colors, which is an right. awkward place to be for, for a bridge card. A big rogue refiner. Yeah. I I like it. I think there's a lot of upside here. And, you know, I mean, if you untap with it and then you have the Fable Passage, that's so much mana. You can do, you can cast your whole hand. Yeah. You can almost arrow twice. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can just do whatever you want with this thing. I think it works pretty well with the new duels because they are pretty good at providing whatever your missing color is. So, you know, it doesn't cost double any color. You've got a red-green one and a green-white one. Mm-hmm. That's it. And a blue-red one. No, oh, there's a blue-red one, too. You're yeah. right. Oh, four, four colors makes this easy. Yeah, yeah. You get a lot <laughs> out of the four colors. And then you, you just, like, fill in the gaps with triomes. And your deck can be just... You know, it's weird when your deck is, like, all triomes and shocklands because then you're hurting yourself every time you want to cast any spell on curve you kind of can be mostly triomes and these duels and obviously any omnath deck is just going to have four fable passage in it because fable passages well you also need to play lotus cobra so yeah yeah i think fable passage lotus cobra is kind of like the agreed upon eight first cards yeah and then you do need some amount of basics for fable passage to get so this mana base is really complicated to build yeah exactly that's what that's what i was talking about it's not easy, but it is definitely a a strong card at, at face value. Yeah, I I will be trying to build Omnath decks for until it becomes like, oh yeah, Omnath is the best, like one of the best cards in standard, and everybody's playing the Omnath deck, and then I'll be like, well, this is boring. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Trendsetter CCR. I just like doing weird stuff. I only want to do Omnath if nobody's doing Omnath. <laughs> Is there anything else to talk about in these spoilers? Um, there's that bad hate card for Uro decks. I don't want to talk about that card. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> it's not very good. There's the rogue that is has rogue ninjutsu. Yeah. It's a an ink eyes sort of thing. Yeah, uh, it's 3UB for a flash merfolk rogue. Rogue. Like a legendary creature. Uh, it's 2UB and it's you can return an unblocked attacking rogue you control to its owner's hand to put Zer... Zareth San, the trickster, from your hand onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you can put a permanent card from that player's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. I'm going to lose to some really bad decks with this card and just not have had a chance against them. So one thing that it does is you can ignore the ninjutsu ability, and it's actually like kind of rad. Five mana, four, four, flash. You can attack them and put a Planeswalker from the graveyard in play. A Planeswalker that you countered because you're a flash deck. That is pretty cool. And you still have Sl- Slither Wisp. Is that the card it's called? Uh, I know the the, the blue and black. Yeah, the three, blue two. and black yeah. flash tribal thing. Yeah, yeah. There's like some good blue, black flash stuff in Ikoria specifically. Yeah, yeah th- th- that was specifically like a planted thing in there. And then this is expensive for a flash deck and, and probably means that it fits into like the kind of medium theme decks that you play around like gold and platinum on ladder but you'll absolutely lose to that if they have the counter spells on the turn they flash this in you don't have a good answer to it and they hit you like you're dead yeah that's kind of it. it's just yeah. really a one trick yeah like i don't think it's a great card or anything but like it'll you'll lose to it on ladder for sure i'm surprised you can't activate this card from the command zone because it's a legendary creature <laughs> yeah that it's is. a little bit of a fail, right? Yeah, but have they put command zone on any standard legal cards yet? Do, do the commander like 
um, cards from Eldraine count because those are standard legal. But yeah, but I mean, I guess I mean that you can open like in a draft pack. No. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's mostly the interesting cards. The basic lands are gorgeous. They got Sam Burley to do a cycle. Yeah, I really like his art. They're good. Yeah. There's a, a new artist I don't recognize. I can't. I couldn't read their name on this. The previews. This is this person? Tianwa X. Hmm. They have a forest and an island, and th- they're probably the best arts in the set so far. Yeah, that that forest is really nice. It's it's very watercolory, and the the lighting is great. Yeah. I I didn't recognize that artist. I don't know if they've done any other magic art, but they're that's the island they did. Yeah, Whirlpool Island is is much better than just like Hedron Island. I mean, these well, are, it's these are Cup fine. Island, Cup Island Two. Yeah, Cup Island <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, it's the sequel we've been waiting for. The real the real crime of the Eldrazi set, Battle for Zendikar, was that there was no, no Cup, Cup Island. Island. <laughs> now we're back, baby. Zendikar Rising. What is the green land spell? Oh, that's, that's not the blind. that's, oh, that's a pathway. Okay, <laughs> I don't. These are gonna mess me up. Both like doing coverage, like trying to like say the right pathway names, and also looking at the cards, trying to remember. I mean, obviously the the all the duels are pathways, but you know, I just looked at this and was like, "What's the spell on the other side of this card?" <laughs> oh, it's it's just another it's, land. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, so that looks cool so far. Yeah, I'm hopeful for. I don't care about the party mechanic at all. No, it's not really relevant to my interests. What I'm hopeful for is cool land cards. Not land type cards, but like land. Landfall. Landfall. Land ish. Yeah. Landy cards. Yep, yep. And I want equipment. I yeah. want some good equipment. I don't really care if uh, Nahiri is playable or not, mm-hmm. but I just like equipment. Sure. I think it makes aggressive decks have some form of card advantage that feels natural. Mm hmm. That's not just a planeswalker that happened to be pushed enough and cheap enough to fit into your. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So please, Wizards, equipment. Please. You can put colored mana in them now. You know you can. Yeah, yeah. And we got, like, kind of close. You know, like, Ancestral Blade is closer to constructed playable than you would believe, I think. Yeah, like, we could just get a Mortar Pod. Mm-hmm. Not with, be like, a, a little mortar, more yeah. attacky, but... Immolating Mask is kind of like that, but it was just too expensive. Yeah. On both sides. Yeah. <sighs> Just give us some good equipment, wizards. Right, it's gotta if it's gonna be like a living weapon style thing, it's gotta have like power in the range of what you would get for that mana cost, and then something reasonably useful on the equipment side that you can the man that it doesn't cost a million mana to uh, re-equip or activate or whatever. Like, it's gotta be stuff that will happen in the course of a game of Magic. But there are ways to. It's rare. it, It feels hard for me to see that they would make like a living weapon equipment that's like oh man this is just way too good i can't believe that they did this so i i think that there's some pretty safe territory to explore around if that. they reprint grappling hook i'm gonna be upset <laughs> it's like an original because in a car equipment right but it's so yes. expensive and yeah unplayable that it's an insult if they just reprint grappling hook i do remember adventuring gear well that card is being limited. standard playable yeah it was good and standard because all the fetch lands were legal right it was like very often well at least for the first couple of turns it was like favored to be one mana one mana equip plus four plus four with your step links and your play to gia feed yeah that deck didn't play much magic after turn four or so but the first couple of turns <laughs> baby not a real equipment, because it's, it's just attaching a landfall ability to a creature. But, right, eh. right. It would be cool, like, 
So there's one card here that is not going to be constructed playable, but there is some design space around it that is is really neat. Where did that guy go? Um, Marasa Root Grazer, green-white for 2-3 Vigilance. Tap, you can put a basic land card from your hand onto the battlefield and tap return target basic land you control to its owner's hand. Like, clearly a limited plant. This is a way for a landfall deck to like keep going through the long game. And it's like a really cool idea. Probably we will not get anything constructed playable that's performing any sort of similar function, but I, I, I do like the idea behind this card. Yeah, I, I like that card as a... It's clearly a limited card because yeah. it's just the word basic on it. Right, right. <laughs> but it would be neat to have... I, there was a, I knew there was a card in Original Zendikar that just flickered a land. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a white card. So if they do some more stuff with that where landfalls actually matters because... In Battle for Zendikar, Landfall was garbage. Yeah. Like, there was a Landfall deck, but it wasn't... It, it was good for a weekend. The only good Landfall card was Tireless Tracker. Well, hold on. <laughs> it was not in Battle for Zendikar. <laughs> if they, man, what if they reprint Tireless Tracker? Great. I mean, I just, love Tireless Tracker. I do, too. Just give it Landfall. Put clues in there. I'm sold. Tireless Tracker in an... Row deck would be pretty freaking good. Well, Tireless Tracker is good in every deck. I know, like that card is just probably a little too good for standard without being like anywhere near ban worthy. Maybe I, it always seemed like pretty appropriate. I mean, it was very good, but it felt like it just homogenized every green deck towards needing to be a Tireless Tracker deck. It did. Collector Company was also legal for some of the time. Yeah, for a lot of that. Yeah. I don't think we'll get Collector, or what's it called? Tireless Tracker. No, we. I mean, we're definitely not going to get Tireless Tracker. It, like, it is, not only does it have a clue on it, but just, like, the concept of the card is pretty Innistrad-themed. That's just because it has the word investigate on it, right? Yeah, I guess. You just throw... I, I guess, like, a Tireless Tracker could be anywhere. Yeah, you just... If they didn't put the word... If they didn't codify clues mm -hmm. and into investigate... Yeah. And to a specific... Or to a certain extent, to clues like the word clue, right? If it right, it, if it was a little more genericized, and so it like could be the result of exploring, is you get like this artifact that represents knowledge, and you could just call it a secret. Yeah. Whenever you whenever land enters the battlefield, get a secret token. Yeah. Yeah. And then you crack your secret, and you've learned something. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, now I'm bummed. We're never gonna get a tireless tracker again. <laughs> We're gonna get it eventually. In, like, next September. Yeah, yeah that's true. We got another Innistrad <laughs> coming. But we're not... Innistrad isn't going to be mystery-themed. It's going to be werewolf-themed. The mystery is why it's werewolf-themed. Yeah, I can't answer that. <laughs> All right. I think I'm done with Zendikar for now. Yeah, yeah. We'll have plenty of Zendikar talk. Uh, we will also be talking about the stuff that's rotating out. And... Yeah, we got plenty of things to talk about for the next several episodes, I believe. Yeah, that's standard rotation. Always happens like this, right? Yeah, there's just a ton. And we also just got dumped with the next Infinity sets and Modern yeah. Horizons and I'm stuff, also so. looking forward to probably more, even more than playing Standard. It's just drafting Zendikar Rising. I've been looking forward to a new draft set since I haven't drafted any of the Core 21. Mm -hmm. And I didn't play any Jumpstart. So really, the last time I drafted a lot was when I Core I was legal. Yeah, yeah. And this set does... I mean, we, only, we don't have that many cards, but it does look kind of promising for limited. Landfall, that is not... Plus two, plus two is an interesting limited mechanic generally. So, I know you weren't a biggest fan, the biggest fan of original Zendikar, but I did like it. It had its own little charm. Mm -hmm. 
And like, sure, I don't think it needs to be hyper aggressive. And I think parties kind of just prohibit that. Yeah. From the start. Yeah. But I, I like the mechanics, the landfall kicker thing. Kicker is always a great limited mechanic. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of looking forward to seeing what this limited format has in shape. Yeah. Maybe we could do like a limited format episode. Yeah, I'm down. If we, uh, for sure. I like the set enough. I mean, I'm going to draft it a bunch of times regardless. So yeah, same. This mountain is pretty dope, actually. I like this one. That's my least favorite mountain, and I know Chad or like they can't see. Yeah, it, this is the busy mountain. <laughs> but we got some birds here. We got kind of a lot of stuff going on. I like this, you know, fogged out stuff in the distance. It, it just it kind of works for me. I like the other two. Yeah, this one's good too. I'm not so huge on this Amberley Mountain actually, but it's not bad. Yeah, these arts are cool. These are. You know, the Battle for Zendikar full art lands were They were mostly, kind of washed out. Yeah, they were just a little bit of a miss for me after the original Zendikar oh, ones. Oh, I should also mention that the expeditions actually look good. They do. They have the colors on the borders and stuff. Like, they're identifiable, mostly. Yeah, the, the art doesn't look like it could be the same land that's yeah. printed 20 times. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the... That was the most annoying thing from Battle for Zendikar, um, Oath of the Gatewatch expeditions mm-hmm. i just couldn't tell what land it was yeah it was faded out so i didn't know what the color was and then every land looked identical right well yeah even once you like look at the box and you're like okay that's black red but i don't know if it's bloodstained mire or blood crypt or like it could be anything and sometimes if they played hollow fountain i thought it was breeding pool yes because it looks green and blue it does but having the colors on the borders i think is a really big upgrade and yeah i, I do like these i think there's a lot of good design stuff going on in this set so i'm, I'm pumped that's it for us for today. We will be back next week with more Zendikar stuff, I assume. <laughs> if you want to find us online, uh, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. At Lee McLeo. If you want to lend us some support, you can head to patreon.com slash MTG Grindcast. We really, really appreciate our patrons. Come hang out in the Discord. Come get some free stuff. Get uh, bonus episodes starting hopefully pretty soon. Come beat me in Fall Guys. Yeah, come beat us in Fall Guys. Yeah, definitely. We got lots of stuff going on, so so definitely come hang out. Check out our streams. Uh, I mean, our next tournament that we are covering is not going to be until the... It's always at the end of the month, the last Saturday. But always keep an eye out on the Mana Traders channel on the last Saturday of each month. If you would like to play in Mana Traders this month, it's going to be Modern. Modern is pretty sweet right now. If you want to qualify, the qualifying period starts soon. I'm not sure exactly when. I think it's the... It's usually the first, second... The second Monday, Monday of each but month, But it's I Labor think. Day, so who knows if they'll do it that day. Right. If you need a Manitraders account in order to do that, and you don't have one yet, you can use the code TOURNAMENT on Manitraders.com for a 25% off your first three months discount. That gives a little back to us, and we do appreciate it. That's it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Until next time.